Riding through this world All alone God takes your soul You're on your own The crow flies straight A perfect line On the devil's back Until you die Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Crossroads Podcast. It's your boy, the man of a thousand gimmicks, the dustiest man in the game, the diamond in the rough, Diamond Dave. And like it, what seems happens every time there's a pay-per-view, it's too hard for me, with especially with the fact that I've been packing, moving stuff back and forth from New Jersey, and everything to do multiple episodes. So when it comes to pay-per-view weekends, usually the company with the pay-per-view will get precedence. This time around, that is AEW having presented Double or Nothing 2021 last night. But before we get into the actual pay-per-view, let's talk a little bit about Saturday because if you guys have been keeping up with uh, some of the accounts of um, the Fourth Wall Pop Network... Bunch of uh, the good brothers were able to get together for a double event presented by Battle Club Pro. May the franchise reign. Held in Ridgefield, New Jersey. I was able to be in attendance with Big Heck, Wade, Boogie Gargano, Bones, Matty G, and Jess. For those of you who don't know Jess, she's a member of Scream Queens. And it Top to Bottom was a great show. I had some of the most fun I've had in ages being at a wrestling event live for the first time since Elimination Chamber 2020, right before the pandemic started. I was able to get a picture with O'Shea Edwards, Big Bad Kaiju, who uh, now also uh, does work in the Ring of Honor bubble. I got a picture in ring with the C-Stars, Delmi XO, Ashley Vox, and Tasha Steeles, one half of the Impact Tag Team Champions, and the Battle Club Pro Icons Champion. And between the uh, safety measures, even though people are starting to get vaccinated, they still provided uh, N, uh, the N95 masks for everyone in the... Um, Everyone in attendance, it, it it was very good. I had VIP since I wasn't officially a sponsor, but uh, Joe Kim, who uh, is one of the people in charge of Battle Club, let me uh, go in early with Big Heck and Wade to help them with sponsor duties and whatnot. And uh, we were all able to sit in a very centralized area. It. It was great. I mean, you had MV Young versus Harlow O'Hara, Polyam Rules, which was basically a no key, no DQ, no count out. Um, there, was, there was some chatter online about um, 
Harlow taking a spot from the apron through a uh, wooden ladder wrapped in barbed wire. It was actually one of the safest moves of that sort that I've ever seen. So people really need to stop chirping. Uh, There's a reason why they're professionals and we're not. Unfortunately, I don't have all the... uh, I only busted out my camera here and there, so I don't have a full rundown of the results. But one thing I could say is it was so great to be in attendance for a wrestling show live. Um, One of the matches that really stuck out to me was the Pan-African champion Trisha Dora versus Lee Moriarty of Big Stark's brand, and it... It was chef's kiss. So that's all I'll say about Battle Club. I do hope to make it out to another show soon. Obviously, that's all going to come down to when I get set up with my new job, how the move goes, etc., etc. But let's get to the main event of the show, so to speak. And that was Double or Nothing, the third iteration of the event. First, the first one in 2019, I was in attendance when it was held in Vegas at the MGM Grand. I was there with Brother Rob, and it was a great event. And we saw the first appearance of John Moxley after leaving WWE. Fast forward two years, one that was presented without fans in Daly's place to this one that was. Full. I'm talking full capacity. Now, while it was so amazing to hear the crowd, I mean, the crowd, I I think, was one of the most electric crowds I've ever heard in a wrestling show. Excuse me. I still am concerned, especially with the fact nothing against any of my friends in Florida, but... I don't have a lot of uh, trust in the fact that a lot of them were vaccinated. I do know they probably have uh, similar protocols for those who aren't vaccinated. If you aren't vaccinated, you needed to get a negative PCR test within 48 to 72 hours or a rapid test um, within six hours, I believe. So uh, I'm not saying that I think anybody there had COVID. That's not this, but obviously being the biggest event of its kind, it's still, you know, it's harrowing when you think that while we're on the tail end of the pandemic, we still are going through this pandemic. There's no two ways about it, but the, the pops were truly something else. I mean, I'm not going to like break down every match. I'm going to talk about positives and negatives after I go through the whole uh, match card results. But, I mean, you had Eddie Kingston and John Moxley versus the Young Bucks for the championship. And mind you, this was Eddie's first appearance in front of a full crowd since joining AEW. He was one of the pandemic acquisitions. And by God almighty, that pop when they both came out to Wild Thing. 
Am I really a fan of Wild Thing as an entrance for John Moxley and Eddie Kingston? No, I'm not. It's just a personal thing. I, I'm a big Major League fan, and I'm sorry that's sacred to me. But the crowd for that entrance, and of course you had them coming to the ring with their recently five-finger discounted Air Dior's taken off the feetsies of the Young Bucks. Um, it, it truly was something special. And, I mean, you could even see in Eddie Kingston's facial expressions and mannerisms, it was truly something special. Like, Eddie Kingston has been a mainstay on the independence. I've seen him in Evolve. He was in uh, Chikara. But we all know Chikara was a victim of the speaking out movement, and it uh, imploded. But that was something special. And then outside of that, the crowd reaction to the taped entrances of the stadium stampede, the first three quarters of it were taped in advance. The last quarter, I believe, was in arena. I don't know really how they uh, worked that out, but even after the inner circle won their match, hearing that full crowd rendition of Judas was really like really something special. And I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how you go from blood and guts to stadium stampede. And now it's, What are you going to do for a rubber match? But we'll get into that when we get into that. Let's break down the match card results. So during the buy-in, we had Serena Deeb defeating Riho in a NWA Women's Championship match. First match on the main card, you had Adam Page going over Brian Cage. Next off, you have the Young Bucks with their wannabe Seth Rollins drip and Nick Jackson's new terrible hair dye job going over John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. One thing I want to point out, Mox was rocking a Trent Acid shirt. You love to see it. Next, you have Jungle Boy winning the Casino Battle Royale with the Joker being revealed as none other than former WWE Cruiserweight Champion Leo Rush. I'll get more into that later because I I love the Leo Rush appearance. I just wished he had one of his other entrance attire gimmicks, one that he's been using during the pandemic, but we'll get into that a little later. Next, you had Cody Rhodes going over Anthony Agogo. This was probably the match that really threw me off for the night because... Honestly, it it, reve- it really confirmed to me that Cody Rhodes is, in fact, the Triple H of AEW, circa Triple H in 2004. Sorry, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You AEW fans can think differently. Sorry, just no. Next off, you have Miro defeating Lance Archer to defend the... TNT Championship. Next, you had Britt Baker defeating Hikaru Shida to become the new AEW Women's Champion. And it was a great match. And even like there was some subliminal hints 
early on in their feud before Britt Baker broke her nose, etc., etc. Britt Baker was rocking white gear and Hikaru Shida was rocking the Tifa Longheart red gear. You know, you know the Tifa Longheart outfit from Final Fantasy. This time around, you had Hikaru Shida in the champion whites and you had Britt Baker and Rebel with the red, which honestly, in my eyes, it came off like a fight between heaven and hell angels demons devils type of a deal and it was uh the the coming out party of the dmd era and we'll absolutely get into that next you have sting and darby allen or as i forget who on twitter said uh sting in tiny hawk pro skater versus scorpio sky and ethan page who According to their entrance uh, video on the screen, they're called Men of the Year. Okay, I don't really understand the tag team name. And I'm still trying to figure out what the point of the Face of the Revolution Championship was, except for that one title shot that Scorpio Sky received. Lost, now they're a tag team, and now he's being tagged as a face of the revolution. But what is it really doing for him? <laughs> but we'll get into that. Then, at your first of two co main events, the placement is very wonky. You had Kenny Omega defeating Orange Cassidy and Pac. I will say this every time I say Pac's name, I will always refer to Pac's name as Pac, not Pac. It, I. Pac just sounds fucking stupid. And then you have the inner circle going over the pinnacle in the second iteration of the stadium stampede match. So let's get down into it. One thing I want to say about the first, the buy-in match between Serena Deeb and Riho, the crowd was immediately behind Serena Deeb who was able to turn the crowd against her with the disrespect shown to Riho, not shaking her hand, etc., etc. But Serena Deeb is literally hitting on all cylinders at the current moment. She really is. She's doing some of the best work I've seen her do. And I, it's one of the things I pointed out with Cross. Even when she's on, de- when she's taking offense and is on the defense, her selling is perfect. So even while she's on defense in her selling, when she eventually goes over, similar to Cross, most recently the Balor Cross match, still getting the opponent over. Now a lot of people went into this match uh, with the surprise that of. Riho before the pandemic to Riho now. Um, I don't think much has changed about Riho. I think she's she's very talented, but I, I I think her character needs something more. That's just me. And one of the commentators pointed out that she was celebrating her 15th year in the ring, which is truly something special. Um, I don't know exactly how old she is. Uh, while I'm talking to you, let's look it up. But yeah, she uh, was celebrating 
her 15th year in wrestling. She's 23. So she started wrestling before she was 10. That's truly something special. Um, Nothing really stuck out in the Adam Page versus Brian Cage match, except for what happened after the match. And after the match, you had Brian Cage being confronted by Hook, the son of Taz, and Ricky Stark, because Brian Cage refused to use the FTW World Championship to cheat. And he seemingly walked off without them. I'm not sure if this is going to lead to a move to potentially separate Brian Cage from Team Taz, We Build Assassins. But one of the things I've noticed with a lot of these manager and client relationships, or even in these factions, it's depending on who the clients are put with, there are a few times, and this may in fact be one of them, where the star power of the manager, or in case of factions, the star power of members of the faction, overshadows others. Like, I don't think Brian Cage is getting much out of this relationship with Powerhouse Hobbs, Hook, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is already being pegged as the next... Dwayne Johnson between his look, his natural talent. Um, and Brian Cage is often getting lost in the shuffle. I mean, he debuted and he really hasn't broken out, so to speak. So I'm really curious to see where this leads with regards to the relationship between Brian Cage and the rest of Team Taz. Moving on, we had the Young Bucks, like I said, Young Bucks going over Moxley and Eddie Kingston. I mentioned before the pop that Mox and Eddie got. Now, obviously, I'm the first one to complain about strange bedfellow tag teams or not regular tag teams. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley are obviously friends from their CZW days, their independent days, etc., etc. This is one of them that works. And as I said in the intro, the organic reaction for that entrance with the crowd singing Wild Thing, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley going through the crowd with their five-finger discounted Air Dior's was truly something special. In my opinion, I think if the Young Bucks were supposed to win by this point in time, it was during that entrance where the Audible should have been called to put the titles on Moxley and Kingston. And it, their reign wouldn't have to be a long reign. It, it, it wouldn't have to be the long reign. A long reign. Then also, at some point in time, you're gonna have to have the elite start dropping these titles. And I'm sorry. You're not. I don't believe it's right if you have Kenny Omega being the one to start dropping the titles. The good brothers who spend more time on AEW than on Impact, they don't have championships. You have the Young Bucks with the Tag Team Championships, and you have Kenny Omega with the TNA, M- Impact, AAA, Mega, Campeonato, and the AEW World Championship. You're not going to have Kenny start dropping belts before the Bucks. And... Like I said, 
the reign for John Moxley and Eddie Kingston wouldn't have to be a long, a long reign, especially with the fact that Renee Young is currently pregnant and their daughter recently revealed on Renee's oral sessions with her mom, they will be naming their daughter Nora in honor of uh, Renee's grandmother, I believe. So John Moxley's going to be off TV very soon, but Eddie Kingston, the acquisition during the pandemic, and then his his work ethic between working with the Butcher and the Blade and um, the Lucha Brothers, we all know how that went. And then Eddie Kingston may potentially be considered the only one to successfully salvage the atrocity that in fact was the exploding barbed wire death match, or as me and my friends like to call it sparkler barbed wire death match, because let's be serious. Those explosions were trash, legit trash. And I do want to point out, uh, I, I actually mentioned this in the, fourth wall group chat it almost looks like week in and week out Seth Rollins and the Young Bucks are trying to outdrip each other and good brother uh good brother Wade Wade the pod father Wade all pods said and they're losing and yeah they absolutely are when I saw the Young Bucks uh ring attire last night good friend of mine uh Jesse Davin uh I consider her a sister. We met at one of the StarCast. She mentioned that uh, the Young Bucks outfit was bought to you, brought to you by Sherwin-Williams. Me, on the other hand, I it kind of felt to me like a uh, Benjamin Moore. But we obviously were both on the same level. Their outfits were brought to you by paint companies because it literally looked like paint. But the more confusing thing about it is... Nick Jackson dyeing his hair. He dyed it like a dirty blonde while Matt kept his, uh, Matt still has his, um, dark brown black hair. Um, it didn't look good. It really didn't. But I mean, they're cocky. They don't give a shit. So it doesn't really matter. But it, it, it was just really distracting. Even though it was a very subtle color, it was just distracting. It really was, and I, I, I honestly think the wrong team went over. So by this point in time, this was my first loss in my predictions because I honestly figured John Moxley and Eddie Kingston should should be going over for the point I just went off on, and the fact that usually when a new tag team is consisting of star power like that gets merchandise together they usually in fact will go over for the tag team championships so now my question with the tag team division is where do you go next they went through proud and powerful they went through this team went through that team i'm hoping that the lucha brothers will win the tag team championship soon I'm still holding out for Proud and Powerful, and I think Proud and Powerful is being overshadowed by the inner circle, which is part of the reason why I wanted the Pinnacle to win, but we'll get more into that when we get to the stadium stampede. Um, 
I really don't know. Oh, yeah, AEW does in fact have one of the best tag divisions. They do, but there is no direct line on who makes sense next. And then you also have a tag team that hasn't really been involved in the tag division. They've been doing more accompaniment spots in their own deal, and that's Dark Order. Evil Uno, Stu Dos, formerly known as Super Smash Bros, who have a long long, long history with the Bucks from PWG. So I'm curious to see where the tag division goes from here, but I do hope that wherever it does go, whoever wins the tag team championships gets an assist from Moxley and Kingston as a fuck you to the Young Bucks, which will be the first of many eventual chinks in the armor of the elite. Next, we have the Casino Battle Royal. I I predicted Christian Cage. Matt Hardy was also a name that I could have seen. Nothing against Jungle Boy. I I wasn't expecting it. He's very deserving. He's He's a young, very talented wrestler. I just didn't think he needed to win it. I, I, I really didn't. Am I happy he won it? Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. Once again, nothing against Jungle Boy. I don't think it's believable for him to beat Kenny Omega. We remember Jungle Boy had a couple run-ins with Chris Jericho, and one of the times he went over Jericho, one of the times that he, in fact, went over Jericho wasn't because he won the match. It was because he out, he outlasted the clock. So from there to here, what has he done that's supposed to make me think that he he has a chance against Omega? Especially Omega being accompanied by Don Callis and then the young the good brothers and young bucks literally getting involved every which way. So I'm sorry. Jungle Boy is not going to be the one to win the championship, but then the question is, who in fact will be the one to win the championship? Last night, we had not just All Out being announced September 5th in Chicago, but we also had Full Gear being announced for the first weekend in November, I believe, in St. Louis, Missouri. I was hoping it would be closer. I don't really want to go to Missouri. Uh, If I had to pick either of those, I'd be picking all out. But once again, the big wrestling shows, it's going to depend on Diamond Dave's wallet. Because then there's also SummerSlam potentially being at Allegiant Stadium. I don't know the finality of that yet. So there are a lot of big shows coming up. But I I literally have no idea how we're progressing from... This pay-per-view to the next, which which is a good thing. That means I, I without expectations is when I'm usually most impressed because without expectations, I'm not let down. But the biggest thing to come out of the Casino Battle Royal was the Joker card. Leo Rush. Now, I think I think it was awesome now, the one thing I do want to point out, to up to date of this recording right now, AEW has not dropped the Leo Rush is all elite. And Leo Rush is the current 
MLW middleweight champion, and AAA cruiserweight champion. Now, we know that Kenny Omega's AAA mega campione has a mega championship, so that's fine. I'm not sure what the status of any relationship between MLW and AEW is, and there's also the rumors of MLW potentially working with WWE, and there's also the rumors that I would have talked about in the regular episode of NJPW and WWE having talks. I'm not going to really get into that yet because it's too early in the talks and we don't have enough solid information. But with regards to Leo Rush, the fact that they haven't dropped the All Elite yet, it means that it was either a one-off or it's going to be like a by-appearance thing. Now to the other the other things I want to point out about it. Over the summer, Leo Rush, after Leo left WWE, he started appearing at a bunch of the independents. And he was going by a moniker, Blackheart. And he, he has all of his tattoos, but he also had body paint. He had, like, contacts that would black out his eyes. And I really liked that iteration of of Leo Rush. And the reason why I liked it is because it almost like he already has some superhuman talent and agility. And we even saw that last night when he was playing cat and mouse with the people that were still in the ring. But the Blackheart gimmick, it almost gives a supernatural side of his abilities without going the route of the Undertaker or Kane or The Fiend with making it too outrageous. So I've really grown to love the Blackheart character. Now, I personally think his appearance was wasted. When you have a debut in the position of the Joker... Mind you, you already have the four suits of five competitors each having been in the ring, and you already have a plethora of eliminations. So Leo Rush had a very short period of time to show what he was able to do before getting unceremoniously eliminated. And I think that really went against against it. But that's just me. I'm really curious to see whether we're going to get continued appearances of Leo Rush or if that's going to be on the back burner because Leo Rush has shown up the super j cup mlw like he's shown up everywhere gcw his series with blake with blake christian is truly something special if you haven't watched it i strongly recommend checking them out moving on cody rhodes versus anthony agogo this match First off, the weigh-in was crap. Turning this into a UK versus United States thing on Memorial Day weekend was crap. Anthony Agogo is a two-time Olympic is, is an Olympic athlete. You can tell by his tattoo and the fact that he has the Olympic rings on his trunks. And he's also partially blind in one of his eyes. And then you have Cody Rhodes 
son of a, a common man, grandson of a plumber, yada, yada, yada. The promo that Cody cut a couple weeks ago that apparently was shown to people like in a uh, in a group to get some feedback on it, it uh, at least to me and I know to a lot of people on Twitter it came off as very racially insensitive and then you have the match itself now mind you you've built up Anthony Agogo of the factory mind you Anthony Agogo is the only good thing in the factory QT Marshall's awful on the mic Aaron Solo honestly reminds me of a create a wrestler and Nick Camarado I think would do better outside of the faction that seems to be a running thing for people involved in these factions but you've built him up with his punches leading to the end of matches like his strikes leading to the end of matches Cody basically destroyed the credibility of building up his strikes. And Cody's entrance attire, the internet seems to be in agreement that it was a homage to Homelander. Um, Yeah, a very American dream-esque. Memorial Day weekend, cool. And a lot of people pointed out on Twitter, once it became USA versus UK, once Cody K had that entrance attire, the writing was on the wall. And it was. Now, I did see the critique that Anthony Agogo's still a little green. It would be wrong to have him go over Cody Rhodes at double or nothing in uh, his third, fourth match, whatever it is. I actually disagree. I think that would have been the perfect point to cement Anthony Agogo as the no pun intended, the next big thing. Of AEW. And when he signed, like, it was a big deal. And even in a recent interview, Anthony Agogo did say that he turned down more money from WWE. Because he felt that AEW, the upper management, cares more about the wrestlers than WWE does. And I actually can't, I can't dis, I can't disagree with that. Um... But unfortunately, this, in my opinion, again, is where we're starting to see Cody Rhodes, the Triple H of AEW, come out. I guarantee you, like, I don't think the match did anything for Anthony Agogo. I, I, I don't. And I, I said this to um, my protege that uh, replaced me on Kings of the Rings, uh, Kay Murphy. I told them, I think Cody is an awful executive vice president. I personally think all of them are terrible executive vice presidents. But the way it looks is Cody's one, Cody deals with big picture stuff. It seems like the Bucks deal with tag. Kenny deals with the women's. I'm not sure what Adam Page does EVP-wise, but I think they're awful. I really do. And I think we're starting to see a lot of the complaints that happened when wrestlers were in upper management of other companies. I'm looking at you, WCW. So, 
I, I, this is actually where I lost most of my energy. This match. Because I wanted Anthony Gogo to win so much. And yeah, people can be like, oh, how can you... How can you say Cody, like, you know, is exactly like Triple H? He booked him, he he got booked to lose against MJF and never be able to challenge for the world championship. Okay, I'm sorry. One good decision doesn't make up for multiple bad decisions. I'm sorry. It doesn't. But moving on, the, obviously a another match between these two competitors is necessary. Where do you go? I don't know. All I know is that a go-go has to win convincingly to erase the stench from this booking decision. Miro versus Lance Archer went exactly as I expected it to be. Don't really need to say much about it there. Britt Baker and Hikaru Shida. This match was everything it needed to be and more. The crowd was electric for Sheeta and for Baker. You had dueling Holy Sheeta chance with DMD. And it, it honestly, it, it went off without a hitch for me. I've I've been saying I, I and I'm the first one to admit I, I I may be biased towards Joshi wrestlers because I enjoy their stuff so much and I feel that the Joshi wrestlers do a lot more to show themselves off inside the ring than they need to do with mic work. So obviously when it comes to mic work I feel a Joshi does, won't be able to be on the same level as, say, Britt Baker. But boy, this this match was going back and forth. The, I already commented on the uh, attire choices. The championship whites versus Britt Baker's uh, shades of red, so to speak. And it's a flip-flop from... Their match last year before Britt Baker's nose got broken and before she had her ACL injury, etc., etc. And this moment was written in the stars. Britt Baker winning this championship. A lot of fans, myself included, believe it should have been sooner. Unfortunately, injuries come up at the most inopportune times. So sometimes your plans get derailed. But Britt Baker... I still remember to the double or nothing announcement at the pool, Britt Baker was the first woman to appear to announce that she has signed with AEW. So her saying that she's a face of AEW women's division, that's that's not a lie. She literally is. Riho was a good champion. Nyla Rose was a great champion. Hikaru Shida was a great champion. I'm not discounting any of them, but I feel Britt Baker has the ability to connect to the most widespread audience. Now, mind you, Britt Baker was one of the women in the Fatal 4-Way in... All all in. Tessa Blanchard 
is currently a free agent. Who knows where she's going? Chelsea Green, it's looking like she's going to be making a return to Impact. Madison Rain, I believe she has retired. But also in that group of friends, you have Deanna Perrazzo as the Impact Women's Champion. Like, I, 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 I would just honestly want to see Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Deanna all have gold at once. So I, I don't know if I would like to see maybe Chelsea Green do a pit stop with Ring of Honor because they're currently uh, making moves, establishing their women's division for the new Ring of Honor Women's Championship. Their former championship was a Women of Honor championship, but DMD deserved it. And then you even had her talk about the era of DMD being this generation's version of the era of Austin 316. And I think that was Chef's Kiss. And then the fact that obviously... She's done a lot of interviews with Tony Schiavone. Um, Him coming out from behind the commentator table to embrace her at the top of the ramp. So, that was really special. Next, let's go to Sting and Darby Allin versus Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. I was nervous as all holy hell in this match. And that was because this was Sting's first in-ring match since... Seth Rollins hurt him at night at Night of Champions, Clash of Champions, and caused him to no longer be a featured in-ring performer. Now, Sting is 61 years old. Obviously, one wrong move can do a number on Sting. But him and Darby... Coming out in the similar face paint, obviously Sting's iconic face paint, and Darby kind of took the design and made it his own, so to speak. I think that was a great touch. And in all honesty, I had mentioned before about the manager or valet, their star power overshadowing the protege. This is one of the few times where it hasn't. And Sting has some of the highest star power, period. I can tell from his fans and just from having met him twice the line. But Sting has made it a point to be in the background to let Darby shine. And sometimes that makes me even more nervous because Darby's reckless abandon for his body has been pointed out by other wrestlers as not potentially can, will shorten his shelf life as a wrestler. But Darby wrestles each match, at least in my eyes, as if that's his last match. But honestly, Sting and Darby worked great with... Uh, All Ego, Ethan Page, and Scorpio Sky. One of my favorite moments was Sting having the Scorpion Deathlock on uh, 
all uh, Ethan Page and I believe uh, Scorpio Sky had the heel hook on and then you had Ethan Page and Darby Allen bridge out and start slapping each other while each were in the submission. That's something you don't see. Like I, when back in the day when I would wrestle my brother, I, like we would, you know, we would do like the we w- wouldn't hit each other, but we would basically do finishers and submissions. But being locked in those submissions, like it, it hurts. No matter how much care you're taking regarding your body, it it hurts. So for them to be able to bridge out and then while keeping themselves bridged out with one arm, using the other to slap and get and receive slaps, it was truly something special. But at the end of the day, it did what it needed to do to show Sting still has it in the tank. Darby, reckless abandon. But as I said before, Face of the Revolution, what's that doing for Scorpio Sky? And mind you, this is Ethan Page's first pay-per-view since showing up at Revolution as the mystery man in the Face of the Revolution ladder match. Now we're at our main events, the first of which was the Triple Threat. Now I'm going to put this out there right now. The triple threat should have closed out the show. Stadium Stampede should have been the second to last match. The reason why is three quarters of the Stadium Stampede was recorded. So you have fans in attendance live watching like we are on TV on the big screen. And I don't think that's fair to them. So I feel that led to, first off, people leaving before the in-ring stuff to end the stadium stampede. And that's obviously not what you want. The uh, The match was good. However, I do think the first one went off better. Obviously, we didn't have the Sammy Guevara, Matt Hardy injury thing. You didn't have the teleportation thing. I just, I enjoyed the first one more between the elite and inner circle But this wasn't against the pinnacle. I just, and I'm still really trying to understand how you go from blood and guts to stadium stampede. What are you going to go to next? Just a five-on-five elimination match? Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. But the triple threat match, each competitor at multiple points in time during the match I felt they had a very good chance of winning and Kenny Omega being the smart heel with Don Callis took advantage of the fact that there are no disqualifications Don Callis interrupted account by pulling the ref out Kenny Omega interrupted account by intentionally knocking out the ref and then you had Kenny Omega tee off on Pac Four times with each championship. Now, considering that this was the first triple threat for the AEW World Championship, I'm not really a fan of that ending, but it it solidifies Kenny as a heel. And like I said, you're not going to have Kenny 
start dropping the belts before the Bucks do. So that's why I think the Bucks should have dropped the belts. So then you can start pl- you can start planning when Kenny's going to drop these titles. And I think the first one he's dropping is going to be the Triple A Mega Championship against Andrade at Triple Mania 27. And then you have Moose taking on Kenny Omega. Who knows what comes from that because Moose is even starting to drop hints like where do you expect to see me and capital N lowercase e capital XT who the fuck knows um and in all honesty I'm still curious why if they unified the championships why both championships are still being held like when it's so confusing. It's just so confusing. But I honestly think Orange Cassidy shined the most in the match. He didn't do his normal, you know, shtick. He was he was firing on all cylinders right from the start of the match. But of course, when you're in a match with Kenny Omega and the bastard Pac, sometimes that's just not enough. But I'm not going to lie, throughout the match, I was cheering more and more for Orange Cassidy. First off, so I could see the cult of Cornet burn itself to the ground. But second of all, just because the, like, closing image of him posing with the championship on Friday night... It, it 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 was amazing, and uh, I'm I'm pretty sure the universally agreed upon sentiment is that Orange Cassidy just proved that he in fact can be a world champion. So now we're at Stadium Stampede. Pros. The inner circle's entrance, rappelling down the goddamn boards at TIAA Field, home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their uh, biker cuts. If you guys, you guys, if you're listening to the show, you obviously know that I had my logo designed similar to, like, you know, a motorcycle cut. But when I saw those actual, like, cuts, that they were wearing. First off, they were dope, but it really reminded me of aces and eights. So I made a comment on Twitter. When did the inner circle evolve into aces and eights? It wasn't very well received by a lot of people. And then you had MJF being brought out to the field in a limb, in a limo. And then the reinforcements coming on a Jeep, doom buggy, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, I like how they had the tag, like the tag teams, they, they were facing each other in like the dance club. You had Sammy Guevara and Sean Spears all over the place in storage, etc., etc. You had MJF and Chris Jericho fighting everywhere, even getting into the football offices with a cameo from fucking Urban Meyer. 
head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I think we were all waiting for the um, post Urban Meyer is all elite, but um, it was cool having the assistant coach throw Jericho the footballs, who then just spiraled them at MJF. Urban Meyer giving him the computer, which obviously was probably a prop, but the way he sold it off, like those are fucking plays were over there. Are you kidding me? But that was pretty cool. And then you had Jake Hager and Wardlow also in storage, etc., etc. Um, Random appearance by Conan, who was a DJ in the club. When FTR and Proud and Powerful met up in the club, they each had a shot of vodka. Then Tully gave them each a, you know, a plastic cup with a shot of vodka in it. Then he, you know, faded to the background and they started to duke it out. I think that was really good. Um, Overall... It was a solid match. It did what it had to do. But like I said, Proud and Powerful are are overshadowed in... They're overshadowed in the inner circle. Jake Hager really... In all honesty, I was so excited when he debuted. That has faded off quickly. Now Now I see why he didn't really do anything in WWE other than the one World Heavyweight Championship reign, etc., etc. Like, he doesn't really have much character. Chris Jericho is always going to be Chris Jericho, so he doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't need the rub. Sammy, but having Sammy Guevara, the one who left the inner circle when MJF and Wardlow joined, to come back when MJF screwed over Jericho. That 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 was good. Even though I'm I'm not gonna lie, I don't think I'll ever truly be over the Sammy Guevara rape comments to, uh, regarding Sasha Banks. I don't care how much um, training you could go to or whatever. If you're saying that on an interview, who are you saying that about behind the scenes? So that's just me. But, as I said, where do they go now? They did Blood and Gust. They did Stadium Stampede. One apiece. You need another match. So where do you go now? That's what I will leave you with my review of Double or Nothing. Where do you go now? So now let's get through all of the plugs. You can find me. On Facebook, David Malkwich, M-A-L-K-I-E-W-I-C-H. You can find me on Instagram, O-Z-T-E-P-0-8. And you can find me on Twitter, at I-N-D-I-E underscore D-U-S-T-Y-D-A-V-E. You can find The Crossroads on Instagram and on Twitter, at T-H-E-K-R. O S S R H O D E S. And where would I be without my beloved bun daughter, Juniper? And you can find Juniper, Queen of the Bumfort, first of her name, Master of the Playpen, Lord of Tritos. And you can find her on Instagram at J U N I P E R B U 
NZ. And don't forget, if you like the content that I put out, that we put out at the Fourth Wall Pop Network, you can support us. There are three different tiers, a 99 cent tier, I believe a $1.99 and a $4.99. And all that mo- all the money that we do receive from supporters, it goes right back into the network to help us with merchandise, with our hosting fees, etc., etc. So if you like it, please support us. And you can catch all episodes of the fourth wall of the crossroads on the fourth wall pop network where you can find other shows such as the recently debuted smoking jays the recently debuted views from up here both lifestyle podcasts we have your wrestling at new normal wrestling you can listen to new normal you can listen to the crossroads we also have your movie pop culture with pop with a Pop Culture Collective, Pop Sports Shorts, Big Heckin' Wade Adventures. We have every one of your needs covered. So remember, hashtag pop is life. Hashtag make it pop. Hashtag FWPN. And the hashtag for the show, hashtag TikTok do the work. Until next time, thank you for listening. Dusty Diamond Dave 